This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Potential for school closures. But I want to give you the other side of this, too, because the Board of Education, obviously, ultimately are going to make decisions about this. Uh, Todd White, who is the chair of the board, also the trustee for Ward 5, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us some perspective on this. Todd, thanks so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Yeah, great to join you, Bill. I I know that uh, when you go to these meetings, sometimes uh, body armor is probably uh, a consideration. It can get a little hectic in there, but but maybe you could give our listeners uh, some perspective on exactly the challenges that you're facing. And and, uh, and, and I'll be the first one to say this. You guys aren't the bad guys here. There's a system in place here that you guys are supposed to work within. Uh, and that seems to me to be the root of the problem. But let's let's talk about some of those particulars. Yeah, and and, that, and that's right. It's a, it's certainly a tough job and a tough position to be in. But I think that's entirely why trustees like myself signed up for the job because there isn't an easy solution a lot of the time. Um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of creative uh, ideas uh, and folks that need to get to come to the table. Um, Speaking to the challenges, as, as you asked, uh, there's, a, there's a number of challenges. Um, one of them being a lot of folks remember uh, the most recent process, which wasn't all that peachy, to say the least. <laughs> and uh, that's the process that folks remember. That's changed over the years. We've uh, had quite a bit of success in different areas of the city, but we're back in uh, the West Hamilton or Central Hamilton now. And uh, the 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 process on everyone's minds is what you and I both remember and have chatted over the years as well. Which was the, uh, well, the high school situation, of course, with Hill Park and Barton and Sherwood and on and on and on it went. And uh, you're right, it got pretty ugly. Yeah. And yeah. And, uh, and a lot of passionate parents and, uh, and some people still harbor some resentment about how that went. So how has the process changed and what, what's going on right now? So it, we're in a much different situation than, than that time. Um, our enrollment was, was, was quite poor at the secondary level uh, with our high schools, so we had to try to find some solutions at that time. Um, a lot of folks don't remember, actually, the original recommendation from staff on that one, uh, which was to close Delta and actually keep Sir John A. open. Mm-hmm. Um, so the funny thing is everyone on in this process with Hess now, uh, the first staff option that was presented said close Hess. The original staff option on the high schools was actually keep Sir John A. open. It went the other way. So, so, and that's been the focus of the discussions is that initial staff option. But more or less, and you know, I read the article in the Spectator today, and I think it was accurate for the most part of what happened last night. Um, but what folks aren't 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 realizing uh, is that that initial option that staff put on the table wasn't presented last night because, quite frankly, most have disregarded it. The the review committee isn't interested in that option for the most part, and they're exploring some of the new creative options. So, but folks still have that that pending suspicion in the back of their minds that that initial option is going to somehow resurface and will become the focus or the end result. Yeah, but from what I'm hearing from uh, David Heskin from Shamso Elmi, who joined us uh, earlier in the program, is they want to hear that from the board. They want to hear that's off the table. That's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that that's that's reasonable. The problem with the the process, though, is we have a review committee doing the work. I don't, as a trustee, want to influence that. If I if I am going around uh, communities saying I like this option, I don't like this option. Oh, we won't do this. Well, it's to me you're that 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 um, creates a, a very disingenuous process because we're now predetermining the outcomes. We want to give the review committee and the volunteers the ability to explore whatever they want. We don't want to take things off the table. We want to give them the autonomy to to search and and discover whatever they want to do with no limits. So that that's what we want to create. The minute this report gets put down in front of trustees, 
by all means, I'm sure you you and I will chat, and I'll tell you very precisely what I think. <laughs> that's coming. As, as that's you coming. always as you always have. That's yeah. that's, that's a given, Todd. We get we understand that. Listen, I, I I know you don't want to influence the process, but I'm intrigued though by uh, by what came up at the meeting last night as one of the uh, the alternatives. And David just mentioned it to us a couple of minutes ago about perhaps if there has to be a new construction, if that's the way the the, the board decides to go. What about the property of John A. McDonald? I mean, I know that you know it's slated for closure, but that's a pretty big chunk of land. Could you parcel that off if it's going to be surplus? Would you consider that as an option? Is is it viable as far as you're concerned? Absolutely, and and that those are the the type of ideas that we want to to create. So look out look outside the box. You know, it's hard to say to folks when you look at nine schools in in a in a cluster in a particular area. And, and ask them to create different scenarios. Automatically, you look at what exists and try to tweak it. Whereas we often ask the questions, and it's hard to have the discussion, which is just kind of remove all the schools. Just pretend they're not there. And how would you recreate your community if, you, if, you, if it currently wasn't there? What do you need? Do you want a K-8 school? Do you want a K-5 school? Do you want it on a larger piece of property? Do you want, uh, do you want a, a larger school, a smaller school? You can answer all of those questions. The neat thing about the Sir John A. property, and why I'm glad the review committee's starting to have those discussions, is that it has a lot more acreage than Hess Street School, which is only a bit over an acre in size. Uh, Strathcona School, about five blocks or so to the to the uh, west is on 1.1 acres. So there's expansion issues in terms of though the, the enrollments there and the, and the possible growth into the future. So finding a piece of property where you can have a playing field and you can have the amenities that, that most schools have and deserve, I think is a huge benefit for, for those communities. When you look at the schools that are under consideration right now in this review, uh, and we've talked about Earl Kitchener, uh, Central, Dr. Davey, Kathy Weaver, Queen Victoria, Benetto, Ryerson, Strathcona, and of course, Hestreet, as we just mentioned. Is, is there an inevitability here that some or one of these are, are going to close? Because uh, I know one of the options that David talked about is everything stays open. Uh, is, that, is that viable? Yeah, I, th- I think it is viable. I don't think you're going to see a straight closure. Um, you can't guarantee that, obviously. There's 11 trustees, and it's democracy, you know, that uh, will prevail in the end. But, uh, but for the most part, I'm not noticing a lot of interest in just close one school. So if something does close, it would be more of a, a rebuild um, in terms of infrastructure or nothing at all. And, and we're not... We're not predetermining that that something has to close either either the the overall enrollment of the nine schools is 82 percent right now that's not poor uh, we have areas that have gone through reviews that are lower than that so there's nothing that forces us to to close a school but once again we also the reason why we've put this review forward is that there are possibilities there is the ability to to rebuild certain schools consolidate if that's the will of the communities if it isn't then let's invest in the current model but uh, we don't want to start spending money on the current model if there's a desire for something else well let's talk about the money uh, which flows obviously from the province from the, from the ministry in a situation like this some parents are concerned that have uh, contacted me Todd and suggesting well the board's inclination is to build something because there's money available from the, the board from the ministry for new construction but not necessarily for retrofits is, is that true uh, yes and no. The, the ministry has actually increased significantly the amount of money for retrofits in the past couple of years, not to the tune of, of $10 plus million plus that you can focus on one building, um, but there is money there for retrofits. 
Um, there is also a much larger pot of money, and that's what you're hearing uh, for consolidation opportunities. And that's where our board has been very successful over the years in, in putting forward business cases. We've attracted upwards of about $140 million in the past five years in extra funding. That's funding that wouldn't have come to Hamilton at all. So, so this opportunity uh, right now is, is, once again, why we put it forward to ask communities, if you would like to go down this path, do you want to take advantage of this opportunity or not? And if the answer is no, we can invest in what we have, or we can start looking at that other model. And I've used examples in the past of communities, you know, most recently in, say, Stony Creek or, or uh, Flamborough area, where they've decided to close a number of schools and rebuild all of their infrastructure. And those tend to be those old Wentworth board schools. And um, that was done in a very non confrontational way and uh, is producing an outcome that actually, in fact, they're, they're begging for, for the most part. As part of this review, I assume then you're, you're looking at structures and determining, you know, whether or not these things are, are viable in the long term, you know, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the work that needs to be done. I mean, do these schools all have good bones? Are they structurally okay? Um, most of them are. I mean, they're not, a, n none of them are at a position, in, in, in a condition that you're not going to put any money into. Um, they're all a, able to be, uh, we're able to retrofit most of them um, if we wanted to and if we made it a priority, which is what we're hoping to do in this process. Um, but, but all of those questions will be determined uh, pretty much by the end of this year. And also, it's not a rush either. And, and in other reviews, the situation had, had been so bad that we had to make decisions and everyone felt backed into a corner. There's no rush in this case. There's nothing that trustees are going to jam through a proposal um, come June just for the sake of getting something done. We can take our time and do this right. What, uh, are, are there any, well, I, I'm going to use a phrase here that I know is, is going to be a little, you know, cumbersome to some people, but when we were doing the high school review, this is some years ago, as a matter of fact, it might even have been before you were on the board, uh, there was a, a feeling by some of the parents up on the mountain here that when you're doing the high school review that, for instance, Westmount was, was non an untouchable. That, that's going to stay no matter what, and everything else got, and that really bothered an awful lot of the parents. Are there, are there untouchables as far as you're concerned with the schools on this list? No, I, I think it's pretty apparent from a feasibility perspective of what what is likely going to stay. When you look at the nine schools, three of them are new builds within the past 10 years. Um, so you look at that infrastructure, and obviously we have to go to the ministry and make some proposals. It would be pretty unlikely, I would say, that the ministry would approve us closing a facility that cost $10 million, and that was spent over just the past couple of years. That isn't necessarily logical. Yeah, like, like Dr. Davy. Yeah, like Dr. Davy, Kathy Weaver, Queen Victoria. Yeah. Um, so so those, those are examples of that. But then there, there's other examples where two or three of the buildings of the nine are, are deemed either historical or on the list of uh, interest to be deemed historical. So there's a component there as well. Um, so... All of the options are on the table, but I think it's pretty apparent what's likely and what isn't likely in, in that sense. But those communities are still at the table because they're asking themselves, what's the logical boundary for their communities? What are some upgrades that we can um, perhaps provide um, in the green space in, in their neighborhoods? And then they can ask you know, and make requests for something as, as simple as, let's take out eight parking spots and put in more green space because we're on such a small footprint. You know, and we want to hear that. As insignificant as those comments are or appear in the grand conversation of school closures, for some communities, those eight parking spots and an extra little bit of green space is actually a pretty big deal. Sure is. Todd, we'll uh, leave it at that for time being. I know there's going to be another meeting on this, and I know you and I will talk about this again. Thanks for this today. Look forward to it. Thanks, Bill. That's uh, Todd White, of course, who is the uh, chair of the board 
for the Hamilton Board of Education. Sue Dunlop is the superintendent of education at the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board and uh, also attended the meeting last night. Sue joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Good morning, Sue. How are you today? Good morning, Bill. I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Uh, as I was mentioning to Todd at the beginning of our conversation just a couple of seconds ago, uh, I, I know there are a lot of upset parents, concerned parents, and, and you heard from them and have, I'm sure, been hearing from them over the last little while. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about the system itself, and the because I, you know, as I said to Todd, you, you're basically your job here is to work within the parameters that the ministry sets here. Has there ever been a discussion uh, because of what's going on here and in Burlington, and I'm sure in other communities as well, that maybe we need to be having a discussion with the ministry about about the system and about the the funding formula? So last night at the um, public meeting that we held at Sir John A, there were um, some pub members of the public who spoke about that. Uh, they came and asked a question about that and, and wondered aloud if what if the pro- process should be re-examined. Um, so I think there is some interest in that from not only, as you say, other places, but also here in Hamilton. What are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, is it? I, I'm not suggesting we you know tear this one up and, and try to build something brand new, but I mean, clearly when I hear the concerns of some of the parents here in Hamilton and certainly in Burlington, uh, about the potential for some of the high school closings there. A lot of parents are feeling that maybe we need to re-examine how this is done. So I'm I'm an employee of the HWDSB, yep. and um, I'm following the ministry legislation and policies as they're in place right now. What about some of the things that you heard, Sue, uh, last night? Uh, there's there's obviously school closings. The, you know, the the elementary thing, obviously, excuse the pun, is about education. But but you're hearing from a lot of the parents that saying, look, at schools are a lot more than that. They're community hubs. They're they're gathering spots. They're information sources too. Do you do you factor that into into the into the the information process and, and the decision process about what you're going to do? So I can tell you that the um, Pupil Accommodation Review Committee, which is made up of parents and staff and community members that has been meeting over the past few months, they're very, very interested in, in the concept of community hubs. So we've heard loud and clear from them and also from other parents that they do want to see more community hubs in schools. And the Ministry of Education has also said, um, very recently Mitzi Hunter sent something out about how um, they really want to encourage those community hubs. So that is something we're hearing and we're always interested in working with partnerships and we have a number of the schools, the nine schools that are in the in the accommodation review, who have lots of programs at the school mm-hmm. to support kids before and after school and during the school day. And and we've heard from those, and, and I guess that's why there's so much passion about what's being uh, said here at the meeting last night, and I'm sure at subsequent meetings, that, uh, that they, they rely on those programs and, and that support that you're offering for them now. And, and they feel as if they're going to be abandoned if you take that away from them and, and, and they have to travel someplace else. Uh, many of them, of course, that's going to be somewhat problematic for them. Well, I can tell you, because I supervise 19 schools in the downtown area, so, and I'm in schools all the time, is the things that are happening in schools are amazing, and staff really care about kids. And even if a student has to move and go to a different school or as a result of an accommodation review has to go to a different school, the staff are going to take care of them because we have great programs in all our schools and we have community partnerships in all our schools. What about the impact on neighborhoods though? I mean, you know, as, as, as Todd said, and I've, I've heard this model before, you know, pretend there are no schools. And if, uh, look at Hamilton right now, where would you put them as opposed to where they already are? And, and that they say is somewhat of a, a determining factor in how this goes right now. But when you look at that downtown core and you look at the, uh, the growth of the, of the population in the downtown core, and this is right into your wheelhouse, Sue, because these are the schools that you represent, of course, as a superintendent. You've seen this happen, and you've seen the population in those neighborhoods and in those schools happening right now. 
Uh, is is this really a time when we would consider shutting down some schools, or, or should we be be rebuilding the infrastructure there to to maintain the services you've already got there? So uh, the committee has looked at that, and we actually had City of Hamilton uh, planning staff come and speak with us to talk about the different developments that are going to be happening downtown. And from what we heard, they planning is in the preliminary stage, and so it's unclear what dwelling units and all those kinds of things might actually look like at this time. So we're basing our enrollment projections on the best information we have right now. And those enrollment projections don't show a huge increase in um, kids coming to downtown area for schooling. But we don't know what's going to happen at, at PRH yet or in the Barton Tiffany neighborhood. We're not quite sure even what's going to be built there, are we? Well, that's what we heard from City of Hamilton staff. All right. What about some of the other things that the city has endorsed as as, as uh, livable cities? And that includes walkability and things of that nature, uh, as opposed to having to bus kids from one school to another. Do you consider that as well? Is that important for you? Well, that is very important for the uh, the accommodation committee, for sure. They, the idea of walkability was one of the top themes that they came up with that was important from that came out from our first public meeting, and that's certainly something that um, they've they've identified. Other things were programming, caring staff, uh, actual school facilities, like the quality of the school facilities and uh, playground space. So we did develop a series of themes um, that were important, and walkability was one of them. I asked Todd this question, and I wanted to get your take on this as well, if I could, Soup, uh, about timelines on this. And, and I know that there have been, in the past, when the, the board has had to move at, at doing reviews and the possibility of some closures, there was some time sensitivity to it because of funding situations like this. I'm getting the sense that, that, that there's not as, it's not as drastic this time around, that you, you feel that you can take your time to make sure that you get this done properly? So uh, my my part in the process is really more or less ending um, once the interim report goes to the trustees. So and that will happen um, the beginning of April, around the beginning of April. And so as a staff member, that interim report will go, and then it will be up to the trustees to gather more information and make their decision. And it's the trustees who will decide at what point they want to make their decision. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM nine hundred CHML. Yesterday, we talked about some of the uh, concerned parents in the Burlington area who were concerned about the potential high school closures, and uh, parents are push- pushing back on that. Now, that reflects also what's going on here in Hamilton. Uh, parents spoke of their concerns in a meeting on school closings and amalgamations last night at a special meeting at Sir John A. McDonald uh, High School, which, by the way, is slated for closure. One of the options, which is closing only Hess Street School, is still on the table, much to the surprise of an awful lot of people. Uh, we're going to talk with some of them today, and we're going to give you the perspective from the board as well. This has got an awful lot of people right across the downtown area, not just around the Hess Street School area, but right across the downtown area, very concerned about what may be happening and the impact it's going to have on their families. One of those concerned parents is a Shamso Elmi, a mother and activist who was at the meeting last night, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML to talk about what happened. Shamso, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us this morning. Oh, thank you very much, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. It's good to have you on the show. Now, talk to me a little bit about what you heard last night and how how concerned you are about that. Uh, last night, what I heard about it is like at the Board of Education, they don't want it to hurt us. So they don't want it for our concern to be heard. That's what I heard about it. And that's the things it is like a really, it is a newcomer's area. And this is our uh, our hubs. 
and that's what we bring for our kids together. And then at the same time, we can do for the ESL classes for my community, our newcomers, and they go around and they can reach for their children. It is, you know, hand reachable if they are they need it for sick or whatever it is. But it's a HESI school. When they're closing, it is that the hub is closing. At the same time, that's what I said to them. It is why it's all why you are concerning for school closing. <clears throat> do you want what's concern for that one? Why is that? It is do you want it to opening for a new uh, juvenile jails uh, uh, for the youth? What's going on? Because really, it's education. It's a free of mind, free of uh, you know for the, the lot of things we've been through. See, for, you know, the, some of them, they come from the war zone, and they're here for the, our pilgrimage. And that's what they said to us, you know, we can destroy it for your pilgrimage. Why is that? The school is, that's a place of freedom. That's a place of, you know, they've been in through for these things. And realistically, it is like a really upsetting me. For the Hesse school, Sir John A. school, why? What are they doing for these? Because it's a lot of school in Hamilton, they close it, and it still is this is, is unused land. If they want it for use la- uh, unused land, is the one is a Victoria and the Wilson and a lot of places in a mountain. Why they don't do for these schools? These schools is what they are doing right now. It is like a, it's a twenty kids in a one class, and you know what we needed as a parent. It is a ten children. It's a one teacher. That's more than enough. So and what did they tell you crowded. when when you, you when you you were pretty passionate about it, Champ? So last night, what did what did the the, the representatives from the board of education tell you? The, now they haven't made a decision yet. We do know that, but they are still considering closing Hess Street School, right? But but that's the things it is, uh, uh, Kelly. It is the last time it's a Sergione where they said it's a, we didn't decide it. But they they been it's a behind of our back and they decided. So what do we know? What do we have a guarantee if they don't decide it for that one or decide it? Because already they make it their mind. So you you think they've already made up their minds then? Exactly, and that's only it's a retiring. You know, come back for a meeting, come back for a meeting. That's a, that's the things. It's like a, unacceptable to me. Talk to us a little bit about what the school means to you and, and to your friends and to your neighbors uh, who go there. I know what it, obviously there's the uh, the educational thing for the kids, but you you mentioned something, Sham. So just a, a couple of seconds ago that I think is very important here that it's a it's a gathering place, it's a meeting place, it's a community hub for you uh, and a number of other new Canadians who live in that area. Exactly, and you know, is that the area? It is an all newcomers, and they came from all worlds. And then when they come here, the, some of them, it is the first time they've seen it at school. And they came and they're coming for, you know, they couldn't wait for it in, until in the morning because they wanted to come into the school. And once the parent, they bring the parent, they can stand up, they can take the information, where is the ESL, where they can find easily, you know, to communicate it for each other. And then easily the school is going to give for some of the details, what they can do, where they can find it. It is that's what we needed. It's really, it was a community hub, and exactly what we needed, it is like a, to be specifically, it's becoming like a community hub. The school and it's a hub together. That's what is realistically what we needed because it's a central, it's a, it's a Hamilton, it's a downtown area. That's where is the newcomers, they come, and that's where we are easily to reach where the immigration is, where is the welfare is, where is the school board is, where is the mall is, where is the doctors is. That's the whole, it is like the information center. So it's an information center for you then. In other words, yeah. everything you need to find out 
about living in Hamilton right now. All the assistance you need, uh, the ESL classes for some f- members of, of of the organizations, it's all there. Right. In other words, it's 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 your, it's your information source. It's a community exactly. hall, really, not just a school, isn't it? No, it's not a school only. It is like a, some of it they they have it for uh, the the what's it called uh, a service they're doing. You know, it's like, a, oh, my OHIP is, you know, is falling apart. I don't know where to go. Go there. You know, they can find the help. They, you know, it's a lot of things. You, it's, I cannot put on, it's like a one or two. It's a lot. Some of the parents, can you believe it's a parent? They have it for different schools they put on for their children. And some of it, they are, you know, it's a physical uh, 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 thing. And some of it is a mentally uh, uh needed for a school and some of parents they cannot reach for where their children is and they don't know even the address for their school no well they'd have to be yeah they'd have to be bused if they if they close Hess street school they're gonna have to catch a bus someplace and go someplace else imagine for the one father who have it and he was sick and the mother she didn't know where to go and she they you know sometimes it's a pushing to them if it's the father or the mother she's sick that day it's all the children they have to stay home there's, uh, pl- I'm told there could be another meeting on this. Are you going to attend that meeting, Shamso? I will. I will until I can fall off a part of me. But it's still they dig the dead decision. And, you know, it's, uh, it's to me, it's a really, it's a heartbroken. It's education and the building it's itself, it's like infrastructure for the building. But they where's the infrastructure for the children? Where's the infrastructure for the parents? Where's the infrastructure for the community? That's what we needed. Shamsa. Not the falling apart. Thank you. I love your passion. I love your passion. You stay strong on this. Uh, we're going to talk you. to some other folks about this, too, and we'll stay in touch with you. Thanks for the time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Shamso Elmi, of course, one of the concerned mothers who was at the meeting last night. Uh, David Heska is another uh, gentleman that we know, of course. David's been on the program before. Uh, also a parent at Hess Street School, and he was at the meeting last night. And uh, we'll bring David into the conversation here on 900 CHML. David, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Bill. How have you been for the past few months? Well, <laughs> uh, you told me that there was going to be another meeting. It was last night. It was well attended. We just heard from Shamso, and we heard her passion and her concerns about this. Give me your read on what happened last night. So last night, the working committee that I'm a part of, it's about 20 uh, parents and teachers and a couple community members, we had come up with alternate ideas, and instead of numbering them options one, two, three, we just uh, labeled them as ideas A, B, C, D, and E. And so those ideas were presented. Idea A was to have no changes, no boundary changes, all nine schools stay open. Idea B was to have uh, all nine schools remain open with some adjustment of the boundaries, introduction of French immersion at Benetto School. And then options C and D were to combine Hess and Strathcona schools onto a new site that is still to be determined. What I'm hoping is that that site would be on the playing field of Sir John A. Macdonald or on the site of Hess Street School. And then option E was something that some parents had suggested about really messing with uh, schools in the south, which is Earl Kitchener, Central, and Ryerson, because those schools are overpopulated, they wanted to, one of that option E was to close those three schools and introduce two schools instead. So um, I think what with the position that I'm taking now and that I'm hearing from a lot of the um, Hess parents is we want a community hub and a school to remain in our neighborhood. 
Well, we certainly heard that from Shamso. Was that was that the the tone of the meeting last night? The tone of the, a lot of parents were concerned, and others had said, "Well, where is option one? Why are we only talking about ideas A, B, C, and D and E, and not talking about this idea one that was to bus all of the students from Hess to Bonetto?" And so the I think the confusion was when the superintendent answered the question and said, "Yes, that option is still on the table." What I'm hoping at our next working committee meeting, we can have a discussion that says, do we as this committee think that option one should be uh, not endorsed or uh, is the consensus around this table that we don't agree with option one? And I think um, we'll see what that, how that discussion plays out. But I think that the ideas A, B, C, and D, and E that were presented last night will probably be the core of where this is going. But I've been surprised in the past, so I'm not... <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Well, you've been surprised because here you are having this discussion. Uh, but but you, it would certainly, from what I'm hearing, David, ease your comfort level if the board said, yeah, that idea of, uh, of shutting down and busing kids, well, that's that's off the list now. But you haven't heard that yet. That's correct. Because And if the board uh, or the trustees, when it, the ball gets passed back to them, if they were to come out and to say... We we want to prioritize, like the community meetings have all said, and like the working committee has always said, the top priorities for people are walkability and community hubs. We want schools that are in people's neighborhoods. And so I think that the some of the frustration last night was that parents didn't didn't hear that from the school board. They heard, well, option one still exists. This is uh, very similar uh, to the segment I did yesterday with Miriam Mead Ward, a city councilor from Burlington. She was in with us yesterday. I don't know if you heard the segment, David. Uh, and her concern, well, the, uh, there's a number of high schools that are on the list in, in with that board, but one of them is Central High School, which is right downtown. And and those things you just talked about, and as you've talked about in the past with Hess Street School, are primary on the list of those parents, too, is walkability is one, and, of course, the resurgence of downtown. Uh, and just as people are moving to the downtown core in Burlington, uh, we already know that downtown Hamilton actually is one of the most incredible population growth areas in the city over the last eight or ten years, and that's going to continue with some of these developments. It boggles the imagination that they would actually close schools down that are within that neighborhood. And I think that one of the questions that someone else from the public asked last night was regarding has the school board considered what the impact of the Barton Tiffany development would be, what the impact of the waterfront uh, Pier 8 development will be. And the, the answer that, uh, that is continued to be talked about as well, the city doesn't have all of their planning yet done. We don't know exactly how many units are going to be included. But yes, we've included those projections in our numbers. And I chuckled under my breath because they... The, the city hasn't provided the school board with any sort of projections. And so the very uh, lowball estimates that the school board is estimating is that there will basically be zero to very few families that move into all of these developments. And I think that is, that's apart from this whole process. But we as a city need to think, what is the best case for to make our city vibrant and downtown vibrant? Is it to have only single-bedroom condos, or is it to also have homes like the one that my wife and I and kids live in that are in the downtown that provide areas and homes for people, and new refugees or uh, low-middle-class people to live in 
that have access and want to be in this walkable community. Well, it's it's interesting. Yeah, their, their response is rather interesting because my understanding was when you look at that development that's supposed to happen down at Pier 8 uh, and, and the Barton Tiffany area, uh, the city doesn't have any numbers because they've just sent a request for proposals out right now. I mean, they, they don't quite know what's going to happen there or when it's going to happen until they hear from the private sector and from developers. So I, I don't know how they could even gauge what, what those numbers might be. But I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to talk with Todd White in just a couple of minutes. We'll certainly get into that with him as well. But, you know, our, our Shamso uh, Elmi, who was with us just a couple of seconds ago, David, who I know you know her and she was at the meeting last night as well, also talked about the impact this has on on, uh, on immigration and, and the people that are moving into the core uh, and how this is really a community hub for them. It's a gathering spot for them. It's almost like a it's a community center as much as it is a school. And, and, and you, that's the same sort of thing that you were talking about before. And I mean, she's re- referencing it from the standpoint of new immigrants, new Canadians into this area. But even you know, folks like yourself and other families that are in there too look at this place as uh, not just a place that uh, you're there from 830 to 3 o'clock. Uh, this is an active center for this community for a lot more time than, than just the six hours of school. Yes, exactly. It's the place where the Muslim Basketball Association does some of their uh, sports in the evening time. There's uh, obviously a lot of the after-school uh, care for children who have parents that work until 5 o'clock or whatever. They are there, and there are activities that we as parent council also put on that are in the school and the before or after school. And the the support, I think, that I have received and we at Parent Council have received from the broader community, uh, basically saying, we also believe that it is important for there to remain a school here in basically on or near the very close to the Hess Street School site. And I think, though I'm not going to look into a crystal ball and tell you how this is all going to pan out over the next two months, but I think that one of the things that we uh, as HES parents need to have a conversation about is what is the best? Do we think that the, that the school board is going to invest money to revitalize the current HES, or does it make sense to rebuild a new elementary school K-8 to on HES Street site or on the play field of Sir John A. McDonald? And I'm, I'm hoping that that may be something that the school board is open to. And that's that's a relatively new suggestion, uh, new to me anyway, and I, I, I kind of, I'm intrigued by that. It's almost kitty-cornered to the site you're talking about right now, and the board has already declared John A. McDonald's surplus. I, I think that's a mistake, by the way, but I mean, they have. Uh, so maybe maybe they could parcel it off. Did you, did, did you get any feedback at all from the board members that were there last night or, or from the trustees? That is, I, I think that's idea C, which was presented last okay. night. And so... The, we're waiting for the, I was trying to bounce around between, there was about 10 different tables, trying to hear what people's reactions were. And I think people are almost split between trying to keep up the march for keep nine schools, but then there's also people that are looking and seeing that the province is dangling a $10 million carrot, basically, to say, if you build a new school, there's a new pot of money or a different pocket that you can take this $10 million from. And a lot of people are saying, well, if we can get $10 million, why wouldn't we take that? You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Is there job action on the horizon with Ontario doctors? The Ontario Medical Association may undertake job action in its dispute with the health ministry over binding arbitration. Uh, there's an op-ed piece in the Toronto Star uh, written today by Bob Hepburn, who covers politics, of course, provincial politics for the Star. The headline is, Why Your Doctor May Soon Go on Strike. 
That's somewhat inflammatory and uh, certainly caught the eye of an awful lot of people. Well, we want to get some clarity on this, and to do that, we are inviting uh, Dr. Colvinder Gill, president of Concerned Ontario Doctors, to the Bill Keller Show here on 900 CHML to talk about this. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's uh, maybe talk about the headline, first of all, doctors going on strike. I, I think we need to clarify that. Yes, um, there are absolutely no plans to go on strike. Um, and um, and there was a, a lot of uh, spin um, uh, that was presented in the Star. What is actually happening and, and uh, what this article completely uh, failed to even mention uh, once was that this Liberal government has unilaterally cut over $2 billion from the uh, patient services um, uh, in this province uh, that doctors provide, and that's been since January of 2015. That has led to um, unprecedented ER wait times, unprecedented OR closures. Uh, it, it has led to over a million patients now with the, um, in the province that do not have a family doctor. And job action was actually passed as four motions at the OMA Council meeting back in November to fight Bill 41 and 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 the instructions given to the OMA was to lead job action if Bill 41 had passed. What Bill 41 does is um, balloons healthcare bureaucracy at a time when we have such um, 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 such cuts um, to the frontline patient care via hospital cuts, uh, cuts to patient services, or cuts to nursing, um, and it actually in, um, impedes on patient privacy for the first time ever in Canadian history. Um, Government bureaucrats can now access private patient medical records. So that's what it was um, uh, is uh, intended to fight, and it's intended to fight these ongoing health care cuts. Because you know the perception, doctor. You've heard this before every time there's been a contract negotiation. And, and, and to a certain extent, the, I guess the government's uh, you know culpable in this, is they simply say, well, the doctors just want more money. In fact, uh, doctors have, um, in the last set of contracts in 2012, we actually willingly agreed to um, cut fees, um, uh, and those fees actually are direct cuts to patient care. Um, there was a contract that the government put forth uh, in the summer, um, which was aggressively put forth, um, which would have forced us to ration patient care, and we are not willing to, uh, to accept any contract which does not um, fund patients' uh, care. Uh, if the government, uh, the government's one primary provincial mandate is actually to fund the health care of all of its citizens, and it, and it must do that. So we're not willing to ration patient care. Do in your opinion, doctor? I mean, because I know there's some 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 consternation within the OMA itself about about the way to approach this and and to handle these negotiations. Uh, are, are you getting the message out there? Do you think Ontario residents are actually understanding what this is all about? Um, I think um, more and more they are beginning to. Uh, when you go to any um, any sort of ER department in this province, you see ER um, stretcher, uh, or you see hospital stretchers lined uh, through the um, through the corridors. You see patients admitted to or to hallways for three to four days, um, not because there are no hospital beds. Oftentimes there are hospital beds, but they're closed because there's no funding for staff. Uh, ORs empty with the lights turned off while patients wait two to three years for essential surgery. So the patients that are being impacted by this know this. Um, they experience it every day. The patients who do, who do not have a family doctor experience this every day. But, uh, but the message is getting out there more and more. But what we're finding it um, more and more difficult to do is actually counter this ongoing spin that government is, is um, attempting to throw out to 
to basically take away from from their mismanagement of healthcare, from their uh, utter uh, utter neglect of of um, patient care in this province. Patients are suffering and dying, waiting for essential treatment, and that's um, the direct fault of of this Win government's senseless policy. I, I can remember a situation some years ago where there was an announcement here in the Hamilton area that uh, that uh, I think it was funding for a new MRI machine, which everybody applauded and everything. And I, I asked the question, I said, well, is there is there funding to operate this, to staff this? Well, no, we haven't done that. So, I mean, it's going to sit there. Uh, obviously, staffing has to be a major part of this. And, and that uh, anybody who sat in an OR room for three, four or five hours would certainly understand that. Absolutely, and and that's why doctors in this province are so upset at a time when uh, nurses uh, are being laid off, at a time when hospital budgets have been frozen or cut for nearly four years, and at a time when we're, there have been $2 billion in cuts to patient services, this government has now decided to spend millions more to expand healthcare bureaucracy and and, and um, hire more um, or more executives. We do not need more or more more of this middle management. What we need is our doctors and nurses and more funding to our hospitals. This is, it's got to be frustrating. I, I know it is for, for we as, as the patients, I guess, as, as the ones who are accessing or attempting to access the, the healthcare system, doctor, uh, because I, I think there's a general understanding right now that we understand that we have to, to look at this whole system here. It's not just about hospitals. It's not even just about family docs. It's about other services. It's about long-term care facilities. It's about hospice Absolutely. care and things of this nature, Absolutely. too. And that all has Absolutely. to be part of the picture. Absolutely. Um, and, and that can only be part of the discussion if this government is actually willing to have those discussions. Um, 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 Health Minister Hoskins has not met with a single frontline physician for for over 18 months. He has refused to meet with any doctor on the front lines for the past 18 months. Um, um, uh, On a daily basis, uh, Ontario's doctors are are shamed and they're vilified by this government. The the physician burnout rate in this province is is now 78%. That's three times the national average. And 86% of Ontario's doctors cite the ongoing attacks by this Liberal government as as being the direct cause. And that's very concerning because burnout um, quickly leads down a road of depression and suicide. And suicide rates amongst um, amongst doctors are are already twice um, already twice the general population. So this oh, this all should be very concerning. What about doctors leaving the province? Uh, we we went through that and, and terrible thing. A lot of surgeons, a lot of GPs, as a matter of fact, uh, started to they would get their their diplomas, get their certification, and uh, because of some of the past uh, conflicts, I guess is probably the best way to put it, with past governments, not just with this government, uh, ended up going to Kentucky, to California, to where else? And nurses were doing the same sort of thing. Right. Is, is is that still continuing? Yes. Um, in fact, um, since uh, October of 2016, um, nearly 200 uh, family doctors and specialists have either closed their clinics, decreased their patient services, or or actually left the province um, as a direct impact of these health care cuts. And that's impacted the direct access and care of a quarter million patients already. I, the reason I'm asking is because I'm just... Actually, I just drove past a clinic the other day that uh, that I know for many, many years had three specialists in it, and there's only one there now. And I'm wondering what happened to the other two. And I, I think this is not supposed to be happening here. We need we need more. I mean, you know, as we're aging, obviously, we need more medical assistance. Absolutely, absolutely. We have a silver tsunami coming where the baby boomer population will be actually requiring more complex care. 
and uh, at a time when there should be more funding to healthcare to meet the uh, um, or the growing need um, from our immigrant population, um, from our growing um, a population, or from the baby boomer population, um, or this government is actually cutting frontline care. All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to these negotiations, if we could, Doctor. And, and that is uh, uh, something that I know that you and the OMA have been looking for right now, and that's arbitration. I mean, other other uh, you know workers, uh, police, emergency workers, things of that nature, uh, all, of course, are not allowed to strike. We get that. But the other option for them, of course, is, is binding arbitration. Uh, I know you're looking for it. The province won't go there. Right. Um, we are an essential service. We provide a critical service, um, and and uh, because we provide a critical service, we are we are not able to strike. Every other essential service in this province uh, um, has the right to binding arbitration, and that's a right that's being denied to to Ontario's doctors. It's a fundamental right, and and um, the Ontario government, so this liberal government, left the table over three years ago. We are now going into our fourth year without a contract, and that's what has allowed this government to, to undertake these reckless cuts, which are directly impacting patient care. But why not binding arbitration? Exactly. Why not binding arbitration? That's a question that needs um, to be asked of this government. Why are they not uh, giving doctors the same, uh, or the same respect that every other essential service is given in this province? Well, I mean, the um, short answer that, and the one that I think the perception many people have, Doctor, is the government's probably afraid they're going to lose. I don't think it's about losing. I think it's about them actually stepping up to the plate and providing the patient uh, services that need to be provided. There is a lot of waste in the healthcare system. Much uh, we uh, we are the um, we are a world leader in in a healthcare bureaucracy right now. Uh, um, there are more um, bureaucrats than hospital beds uh, in terms of the ratios compared to any other uh, uh, country in the world even. And, 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 and that's where we need to figure out what this province's priorities are. Why, are. why is this government's priorities healthcare bureaucracy that has nothing to do with direct patient care um, when it should be um, providing um, patient care? where it should be trying to get patients access to timely essential care, and, and when it should be getting patients um, critical care at a time when they need it. Premier Wynne, though, and, and Dr. Hoskins, the uh, the health minister, have suggested that they're willing to consider binding arbitration right now. But uh, with, with any negotiation, doctor, there has to be give and take. Uh, what are they asking in return? Well, they haven't actually come back to the table yet. So there was uh, uh, that talk um, uh, through the media that had happened, yeah. uh, but 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 we actually have not resumed negotiations yet. So um, uh, so this government likes to do a lot through the media, uh, but uh, uh, but Ontario's doctors will actually believe it once it happens. So you haven't you haven't received the phone call yet. Um, well, Ontario's doctors have not been informed. That's what but, I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, they are talking through the media, and I know Dr. Hoskins and the Premier both suggested that they'd be willing to ca- talk about this and come back to the table, but they, they haven't actually made that overture yet. Well, uh, Ontario's doctors uh, in the summer, uh, overwhelmingly, over 90% voted to have binding arbitration in place uh, before going back to negotiations, and that's because we have lost trust in this government uh, who has abused its power uh, to cut billions um, from essential patient care. Uh, we are not willing to go back to the table unless uh, unless we are on an equal playing field, unless um, there's fairness, um, unless uh, there are means um, for us to ensure that patient care will not be rationed. 
Now, of course, as we mentioned, because you are an essential service, uh, you can't strike, but you can have a job action. Uh, mm-hmm. What would that? What, I, I, now, I, and I understand some of the members of the OMA doctor are leaning towards doing that right now. What would that look like? Well, that's what still is um, um, actually being discussed at at great length, um, and um, and the reason that job action is now being discussed is is because this government doesn't seem to understand reason. As I said, we're now going into our fourth year without a contract, with billions in healthcare cuts during this time, and and um, bills that are coming up, ominous bills, which um, do not exist anywhere else in Canada. Uh, um, patients should not have their privacy rights being taken away from them, but that's what happened with the passing of Bill 41 back in December. Um, now government-appointed bureaucrats can enter any, any medical facility, including... Um, including private clinics, and go through any and all patient records without the patient's consent. So if there is job action, then, is that reduced hours? Are, are doctors closing their office hours? Uh, what, uh, are they charging more? I mean, I guess they can. There's a fee schedule that they can't do. How does that look? In? How would that impact uh, you and me and, and anyone else who has to go see a family doctor? So um, so once job action is um, undertaken, um, it it will actually result in longer wait times for patients. Um, it will um, it will likely uh, uh, impact how they actually receive their care. Um, we can't withdraw services completely, um, and um, and and Ontario's doctors um, uh, uh, want to ensure that patient safety um, is is a never compromised. But we also realize um, how how detrimental um, the current situation has. Has actually become with this government, and and um, how toxic it is, and and it seems like this government does not understand reason. Um, so 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 the oh, this is what we're being forced to undertake. How frustrating is it when you see the the, the the government working with, for instance, teachers unions and and settling actually for long term contracts for them, uh, notwithstanding the fact that there was some confrontation there as well. Uh, yet, as we said, the phone's not ringing with the OMA right now to get them back to the table. Well, we're not a union. Uh, we don't uh, we don't have the bargaining power that unions have. Um, we are an association, and this and 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 in the past that has worked uh, well um, with governments that actually actually respect uh, the services that we provide. As I said, we have a government that's extremely arrogant. I, we have a government that has been reckless in terms of their cuts. And, and and doesn't seem to care that patients are actually suffering. If, in fact, job action is, is uh, going to be introduced at this stage, doctor, is, is that imminent? Is that something that's just out there, or is that, something, is that the next step here? That is the next step. Is there a timetable for that? Um, there has been no timetable set yet, um, and, and the government has the ability to, to stop all of this. Um, they can simply... Um, um, uh, Go back to the table. Offer offer Ontario's doctors binding arbitration a fair a fair dispute mechanism, um, a which um, a, a which is provided to all other essential workers. And and they need to repeal Bill Forty One. They need to repeal bills that impact uh, patient privacy. The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM nine hundred CHML.
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.